All right, good evening, good evening, and welcome to another discipleship class. Class number 30 of 36, so another milestone class as we are rapidly approaching uh, the end of our time together in this 19th year, this 19th edition of Discipleship Council Training Class. And man, we've got a great group in the room, most we've had in several weeks, so uh, welcome. I see some new faces, welcome. I'm so uh, honored to have you here, and uh, more than likely we have new folks uh, watching online. Uh, I can't keep track of who's online and do all this and fly this plane while uh, all at the same time, So, but welcome to those of you who have been faithful from the beginning online, as well as any newcomers that may be uh, with us as well. Uh, let me stick the title slide back up. This is, as I've already mentioned, class number 30, and we're continuing our discussion of understanding the new birth. This is the third part of that, and um, tonight we're going to also focus on the power of seed as it relates to our having been born a second time. Amen. Well, praise God, we're trying to give everybody a chance to kind of get settled in here in the class um, uh, room. So uh, y'all don't like think you're being disrespectful, but I'm going to pray and you just keep getting your stuff together and we'll be good. Amen. So Father, we thank you for another day of life. We thank you for this time together, Lord. We thank you for men and women who are hungry for you, who are hungry to know you, who are hungry, Father, to draw near to you, to reach out to you, to diligently seek you, Father. And not just your hand. Certainly, Lord, you've done so much for us, given so much to us. Lord, your help uh, is ever-present. Uh, but, Lord, we're not just here for your hand. Lord, we're here for your face. We want to know you because eternal life is knowing you, Father, and your Son whom you sent to save us. Thank you for uh, every person that has made the commitment. Lord, if it's just for 10 minutes of this class, thank you, Lord, for that commitment, Lord, to hear and to grow and to, and to understand and to receive wisdom from you, Father, so that we might be better equipped to live the life you created us to live and to fulfill the destiny for which you put us on this earth. Thank you for, again, loving us, always being patient with us. Lord, never giving up on us, always believing the best about us. And so, Lord, we respond uh, now to you tonight by our presence, by our willingness, by our humility, and our eagerness to receive uh, your word into our hearts in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen, Amen, amen and Amen again. Praise God. Well, We've been talking about the new birth, and I uh, included a little bit of a review, but I think I'm going to go back. Um, I'll tell you what, let's do this, and we'll, u- we'll use it as a springboard. Um, the quick review, let's, uh, <laughs> that's a great title for that slide, huh? All right, first thing that we've learned is that Jesus saved us from the corrupted seed of Adam. Now, if you're new to this, uh, you go, what in the world is he talking about there? Well, we spent some time looking at the problem that we had so we could better understand the answer that Jesus has provided for us. And to say that Jesus came to save us from our sins, that, that would be accurate, but our problem was greater than our behavior. And we see that behavior has an underlying uh, thought pattern behind it. And so to say that Jesus came to save us from wrong thinking, that also would be accurate, but our problems went much deeper than our thinking. What we actually see is that we were born of a corrupted seed, the corrupted seed of Adam. And because we were born of the corrupted seed of Adam, we were born with a corrupted nature. And when we say nature, we're not talking about mother nature. We're talking about the essence that makes a thing or a person or an entity what it is. 
So an apple has a different nature from an orange. Amen. And you could paint an orange red and put a stem on it and a leaf on it and even put a sticker on it that says apple or a T-shirt on it (laughs) that says apple, okay? But if you break it open, you're going to find that on the inside, it's still an orange. And somebody who was listening last week, tell me what else you're going to find inside that orange. An orange seed. You're going to find the seed of that orange and the nature of that orange because seed determines the nature of a thing. And so when the Bible says that you must be born again, this is not speaking of a figurative experience. It's not speaking of, you know, like turning over a new leaf or, you know, choosing to live your life differently. We're talking about something much more profound, much deeper, and even more eternal, not just temporal, but eternal than that. Amen. We're talking about something that only Jesus can do for a person, something that he paid an extremely high price to be able to do uh, for us, and that is for us to be born a second time of an incorruptible seed. Amen. The first time we were born, we were born of a corrupted seed. This is why in Ephesians 2, we looked at verses last week that uh, speak of our being sons or the offspring of disobedience and also that we are children of wrath, children of wrath. He didn't just say that we were disobedient and that we deserved uh, the wrath of God. He says that we are the offspring of disobedience and that we are the children of wrath. So let me run through this quick review here. So the new birth then is a literal experience. And we've said that seed determines nature, and the only way to change the nature of a thing is to change the seed that produced it, okay? And that we were by nature sons of disobedience and children of wrath. That's what this, I mean, I'm quoting Ephesians 2 now. We were by nature. We were by nature, okay? And so we see that having been born again of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God, that now, according to 2 Peter 1.4, we are partakers of the divine nature, So God put a new nature in us, put his nature in us. And then last week we spent probably 40 minutes of the class on a very important section that's entitled Sinless Sinners, Sinless Sinners. Did you enjoy that? Did that help you? I almost wish we, you know, could sit around a table with, you know, your favorite uh, um, uh, coffee or hot chocolate or whatever and just kind of have a conversation about that because I... I really, you know, think that's such a brilliant point provided to us by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul there in Romans 5, where he points to this unique group of people, uh, only one group of people like them that's ever lived on planet Earth, and that's everyone who was born after uh, Adam and before God gave the law to Moses. And, of course, what we see is that none of those people had any sin ever held against them, but the consequence of sin still applied to them in the sense that those men and women died. Sin held the door open for death. And death, the Bible says, passed to all men, not because uh, you ate the fruit, but because Adam ate it. Now watch this, this is very important. And you and I, we were in Adam in seed form when Adam sinned. And so this is why everyone born of Adam are born with a corrupted nature. And the only way to change that is through the new birth. You've got to be born a second time. Now, we, we covered, uh, so again, it was not your sin that made you a sinner, and it was not your good works that made you righteous. That, to me, I want to say that 17 more times, because if we could ever really lay hold of that right there, um, remember, it was the first Adam's sin that made us all sinners, and it was the last Adam, Jesus. It was his obedience 
that has now made it possible for us to all be made his righteousness. So we talked about how the old covenant worked where, you know, the fathers would eat sour grapes and the children would be born with sharp teeth from the acid in the sour grapes. And you say, well, that's not fair. Well, you could make a case for that, but let me tell you what's, what's also not fair, and thank God it's not, okay, is that Jesus could live a sinless life for you when you couldn't live one for yourself and then give you the credit for being sinless. And that's pretty, that's pretty good right there. So you could, you could make a case that that's not fair, but uh, that's the favor of God. That's the favor of God. It's the goodness of God. And so in the course of all this, we, we've talked a little bit and began to introduce last week the power of seed. And, of course, 1 John 3, 9 says that whoever is born of God does not sin, for God's seed remains in him. Just like the orange seed remains in the orange and the apple seed remains in the apple, when you're born again of a different seed, it's not just that you now have become a partaker of the divine nature, but you have the seed of the, of the life of the divine nature that's in you. Amen. And so because of this, it says that not only um, can you, uh, do you not sin, you cannot sin. Now, you'll never understand that unless you understand that you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. And if you say in your outward part, your body, that you can't sin, you're not telling the truth. But in the same way, if you believe that after you've been born again that you can sin at the spirit level of your existence and your spirit become corrupted by sin... You're not telling the truth either. So we've got, to, we've got to understand these things, and it's so critically important. We made the point, and for those of you who are new, again, we made the point at the beginning of, of this section on understanding the new birth that there are a lot, a lot of people who've been born again, but very few who know what happened to them when they were. Really don't understand it. It's never been explained to them. And we know, you know, that something seems to be different and seems thing be more interesting or you know something's changed deep in us but it but exactly what okay and so to really i think understand this and have our eyes open to this not my opinion or some denomination's opinion because denominations believe different things about these things if you don't know that i'm sure you do um and and people are all over the map about you know, can you lose your salvation once you're saved? If you sin after you saved, are you lost again? And so forth and so on. And so we, we've got to, you know, understand, first of all, what happened to us when we were born again and, and what produced. Remember the, the passage that we looked at in First Peter where, where he said, we weren't, we weren't redeemed with, with corruptible things. And we weren't born a, a second time of corruptible things. And because seed reproduces after its own kind, that's a, that's a law established by God, if you're born again from a seed that can't be corrupted, it produces within you a nature now that cannot be corrupted. All right, my, my Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit on the inside of me, He keeps prompting me to, to talk about this now. And we may talk about it now and later. I was scheduling to talk about it later, but let's talk about it now. And this is uh, hopefully not among you, but among some circles uh, this is a very controversial thing that I'm about to say. All right, I'm not trying to be controversial, but when we don't understand spirit, soul, and body, and we don't understand what happened to us when we were born again, it leaves us in a position to try to interpret um, what we're feeling and experiencing uh, based upon the feelings and the experiences instead of the Word of God. And I don't know about you, but uh, my, my feelings and experiences can be very deceptive. That's why we don't walk by the way things look, seem, and feel, or what the Bible calls sight. We don't walk by sight, but we walk by what faith? 
not by how it looks, seems, and feels, but by what the Word of God says. I haven't felt saved every morning since I was born again at seven years old. Uh, are you see what I'm saying? There's been a lot of days where I haven't felt saved, and I'm not proud of this. There's been a lot of days I haven't behaved saved. But that, you follow, I don't, I don't, I don't behave like a, uh, like a child of God in order to be a child of God. I behave like a child of God because I've been made a child of God. And there's a very, very big difference in all of that. And so, uh, you know, if, if we don't know what the Scriptures say, you know, we, and we judge according to the flesh, and by the way, we're strictly uh, instructed in the Scriptures to, to never judge a person according to their flesh, meaning what? The outward appearance or what we see somebody doing or what we hear somebody saying. We, we're, first of all, we're not to judge at all, but our outward part cannot, this body cannot tell the full story of the glory that's already inside this earthen vessel. It's like trying to play uh, an, an FM radio signal through an AM channel. The AM channel simply can't bring all the fidelity of, of an FM signal. Or it would be like trying to play, uh, you know, broadcast a 4K video signal through a black and white television. It, it just simply doesn't have the capacity to do that. Now, what we know is that there's coming a day and our salvation will be complete when our mortal puts on immortality, when we have a glorified body that is comparable to the born-again spirit that already resides within our current earthen vessel. And that's good news. And so, again, let me remind you, that's why the Bible speaks of our salvation in three tenses. The Bible says you have been saved. The Bible says you are being saved. And the Bible says you shall be saved. You say, which one is it, Pastor Mark? It's, it's not uh, uh, either or, it's all and. Your spirit has been, your soul is being, and your body will be. And he who began a good work in you, come on now, will be faithful to complete it. What he started at the most deepest part of your existence, your spirit, Jesus said he will not leave you nor forsake you. Amen. That when he comes to dwell in you, Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you, he will abide in you until you commit the first sin. We were in Sunday school. I guess they meant well. They used to they used to threaten us. I guess because you know we were fifteen to teenagers getting our driver's license, and um, so they would tell us if you if you speed you broke a law. If you broke a law, you've sinned against God. And if you sin against God, the Holy Spirit leaves you. And so now, you know you're you're speeding, and you're breaking the law, and God's not with you. And if you crash and die, you're going to hell. I mean, they told us that, right? And I don't recommend you speeding, but the Holy Spirit doesn't leave you if if you break a speed limit. Or if, if you rob a bank, I mean, obviously you've grieved him and you've done something that he was screaming at you not to do, but you did anyway. But he's not going to leave you. Jesus said he will be in you forever. He's been in. As a matter of fact, the, the, yes, Holy Spirit, if I don't talk about nature in a few minutes, somebody say nature and just remind me, okay? But, um, amen. Praise God. i got too much going on in my heart and mind right now. I'm speeding. Do I need to slow down? There was something really important I was fixing to say on top of something else really important I was about to say. Um, all right, let's just let's go back to what I need to say, and then that other will come to me, okay? So nature, let's talk about nature. I, I've, I've had people get you know, really upset with me about this because if you listen to a lot of people preaching and teaching from the Word of God in our world today, they use the terminology nature in, in the context of that you now have a dual nature, that, that you have both a sin nature and a righteous nature, and that these two natures are now in conflict with one another. 
And that is simply not the case. I don't know if we'll get there tonight, but if not tonight, we should definitely get there next class. But what we see is that part of our salvation involves us being crucified with Christ and then dying with Him and then being buried with Him and then being raised up together with Him to newness of life. And it's in that dying and burial and resurrection, right, that the old men and women that we were died and we became a new creation. And he doesn't say that some things have passed away. He says that all things, all things have been made new, okay? And so this idea that you now have a dual nature inside of you, there is no such thing as something with a dual nature, all right? Please hear me now. The reason, let's go back to what we said a moment ago. The reason a lot of people preach and teach that is because it seems like we do. It feels like we do. Our experience tells us, at least when there's this part of us that wants to go crazy and sin and rebel, and this other part of us that's saying, no, don't do that, go, go do what Jesus said, it seems as if we have these dual or competing natures within us. But your salvation involved the old nature being put to death and buried in an unmarked grave. Okay? All right? So the answer then, and we'll talk about this again and then maybe even again, but it goes to the renewing or the reconditioning of the mind. You see, your old nature, which co corresponds with your spirit, you are a spirit, you have, praise the name of the living God, you are a spirit. You are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body. And so that old nature, that old spirit that was born again, remember he didn't say I was going to put a refurbished spirit in you, he said I'm going to put a new one in you. And your newly born again spirit becomes one with the spirit of God. Amen. All right? But the reason it sometimes feels like, and therefore people say that we do have two natures, is because your old, let me put this on the screen right quick, let me see. Get this now, please. Your old spirit, right, that's like dead and buried over here somewhere. I don't even know where. New spirit. But your old spirit, remember, this part of you was not born again. This is really important. Born again, not born again, not born again. Completed work, work in progress, future work. Have been saved, are being saved, will be saved. So our being saved is the renewing of the mind, right? The reconditioning of the mind. This is a work in progress. This is a progressive work. And remember we said it's a progressive work because God didn't create us to be programmed robots. We have to have a choice. And so if our thinking is going to change, he's not going to, you know, like make you think something different while you sleep at night. He wants to help you think differently. But if your mind's ever going to change and you think the way he created you to think, you're going to have to cooperate with him in the process of it changing. Okay. But, now watch this, the old person that you were left, and I like this word right here, this is the word the Holy Spirit gave me, he, this old person that you were left some residue on your, on your soul. He left an imprint on, on your soul. He left some things hanging around, right? Some old ways of thinking. And remember, as, as you think in your heart, so are you. So if you think like the old person that you were, you will tend to behave like the old person you were, even though you're not that person anymore. And that gives us the sensation that we have two natures. But you do not have two natures because part of your salvation was the old nature being put to death and then a new nature being instilled within you. If, 
and the Bible teaches this. We've looked at some different places where it says this. But as a born-again person, I'll just use myself as an example since you're all looking at me right now. If, if I could step outside of my body, um, I would still look like me, but I would be like Jesus. You see what I mean by that? You wouldn't see two natures. Amen. Now, if you just look at the outward part of a person, me included, you still may see some evidence of that old nature. It's not because that old nature is still in me. It's because the residue of that old nature is still being rooted out of my mind. That old nature put down some roots in my thinking, and those roots have to be rooted out. And they have to be replaced with the seed of God's Word. And then they grow. That's why Jesus said the sower sows the Word, right? And if, and if, the, if the seed of God's Word lands on a, a willing heart and, and, and good soil... Uh, then it'll, it'll put down roots and it'll start producing fruit, 30, 60, 100-fold, fruits of righteousness um, in our lives. Amen? Amen? Okay. So there were a couple of things from last week that I really felt necessary for us to go back over, and I, and I want to do that right now. Remember that by definition, a sinner means someone with a sin nature and someone who is, um, is born again uh, this means someone with a righteous nature. And we asked some important questions last week. We asked, is it possible for someone with a sin nature to do something right or good? And the answer is yes. But doing right and good cannot change their nature from sinner to righteous or sinner to saint. And in the same way, is it possible for someone with a righteous nature to do something wrong or bad? And the answer is yes. But doing wrong or bad cannot change their nature from righteous to sinner. It's because what we're talking about now, the change that Jesus has produced in us is something, and it's a big word, but here it is, it's the right word. It transcends nature. It goes, be, I'm sorry, it transcends behavior. Nature transcends behavior. You, you can't, you know, so I'm, I'm being silly now, but let's, um, let's go back to uh, our apple and our orange, right? Okay. So we're gonna send that orange to apple classes, and we're gonna we're gonna teach it how to we're gonna teach it how to act like an apple and and this and that and one thing or another. But you know, if you teach an orange to behave like an apple, if you break it open, there's it's still an orange by nature, and it's still got orange seed in it, right? So as important as our behavior is, as important as our thinking is, none of those things. There's not enough right thinking in the world. There's not enough right behaving in the world powerful enough to change a, a person's nature. And if all we needed was just to change what we do and change how we think, to change who we are, who we be, our nature, then there would be no reason for Jesus to come, right? He'd have just taught us how to act better and, be, and think better and do better and be better because we act better and think better. But see, that's, that's, we're talking about a problem now that we, we can't fix, we can't resolve Without him, remember what the the uh, I think it was the Apostle Paul in Romans. He said, "Who will deliver me? Who will save me? Who will rescue me from this body of death?" So, thank you, Jesus. Let me get back to where we need to be now. Um, praise the name of the Living God. So, I, I'm probably spending a little more time than I than I intended to spend on review, but I think it's necessary. These are some of the the key factors, some of the key points that we really spent. Uh, some time drilling down into last week, and I want to just you know remind you uh, of, of these things, and and also we've been in a study 
on Wednesday evenings together here at Heritage about just, you know, trusting God and, and realizing that, you know, there are things that we need doing in our lives that we can't do without him. And, you know, there's a, something very powerful in our flesh that wants to be in control. And, and, and even when it comes to our own salvation, Paul rebuked the church at Galatia in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 3. He said they were behaving foolishly and it was as if someone had bewitched them because having begun in the spirit, they were now trying to finish in the flesh what could only be started by God's spirit working in them. Meaning what? Meaning they viewed their salvation as God saving them from their sins, but then it was kind of like they said this to God, okay, thank you for the boost. We got it from here. And, and this idea that you can make yourself right before God in the eyes of God is foolishness. You cannot. But it's just as foolish to think that you have the power to keep yourself right before God in the eyes of God. That doesn't mean, well, let's just let the rough end drag and go sin. No, 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 that's not what we're saying. We're talking about a level of righteousness that's required that, that we can't produce on our own with our own effort and with our own ability. It's something that we have to receive from God by submitting to Him, by receiving it by faith from Him. Amen? And this is how we go from being one who by nature is a sinner to one who by nature is a saint. This keeps popping up in my spirit as well, so let me, let me say this. Um, and when we get to, I'm not exactly sure how much time we're going to have to really you know, take a tour a guided tour by the Holy Spirit through the book of Romans and the book of Hebrews. I don't mean we're going to try to teach the whole thing, but just some key passages that we want to point out there. But, you know, one, one of the things that, um, that, that we see in um, uh, Romans uh, concerning our salvation, praise God, there's so much, I'm just like bouncing all over the place here, is how... Um, like we said, we can't produce it ourselves, but it was what was done for us and our ability to recognize that God is the one who has made us something that we could never make ourselves. And that was ultimately what Abraham believed. If you look very carefully, again, I'm, I just things are firing off in my heart. And I just want to share them. Maybe I'm going too fast here. But if you, if you look carefully at, at Abraham... And what Abraham believed, he believed that God had made him something he could never make himself. He, that's, that's very important there. What God has done in us is something that we could never, ever, ever do ourselves. All right. Now, um, <clears throat> okay, one last thing that we'll get to later that I feel like I need to say now. And, and it has to do with, like in Romans... Romans chapter 6 is a, is a great place, and we'll look at it there later, not now, just stay where you are, okay? Is a lot of times we look at the word sin in the scriptures as always meaning a verb. This will change your life forever if you get a hold of this, okay? We think of sin as a verb. Verb meaning what? Action, something you do. Rarely, if ever, do we consider sin as a noun, 
as a thing. Remember, a noun in, is a person, place, or thing, right? Am I losing you? Am I confusing you? I don't want to do that. See, sin as a noun is speaking of a person, place, or thing. It's, talk, it's talking about a thing, right? Okay. Where sin as a verb is something that you do. So when, when we see that he has delivered us from, from sin, we often hear he's delivered us from sinning, verb, but more times than not, he's, he's not talking about the act. He's talking about the noun, sin itself, the sin nature. Thank you, sister. From sin nature. Amen. And because we've been delivered from the sin nature, we actually now have a shot at living righteously. Have you ever considered this? And, and if you read the scriptures, as your eyes are open to these things, you begin to see them, right? We don't see commands in the scriptures to be righteous. Instead, we see commands in the scriptures to awake to righteousness because he's already made you righteous, okay? And so he's not saying be righteous. He's saying awake to the righteousness that you've already become. It's like way, way, way back when we first started this, uh, these classes. Um, he didn't say study to be approved. He said study to show forth your approval. There's a difference between studying the scriptures and, and committing yourself to discipleship because you're trying to get God to approve of you as opposed to God has approved of you and now he's wanting to teach you the things that you need to know and don't yet understand. So the approval that you've already been given uh, by him can um, uh, be revealed and be evident. Okay. All right, remember while I go and I said I'll, I'll, it'll come back to me and thank you, Holy Spirit. This is the correct time now. So when we go back to when you were born again, God put a new spirit in you and then put his spirit in you. Some people get confused by that. We'll look at the scriptures on this in the days ahead. But he put a new spirit in you. Remember, not a refurbished spirit. He didn't take your old spirit and dust it off and, and, and you, know, you know, give it a good shower or something and put it back in. No, brand new spirit. Then he put the Holy Spirit in you. And the Bible says that when God gave you his Holy Spirit, it became the earnest, it became the earnest of your salvation. It became literally the guarantee that he who started something good in you will be faithful to complete it till we stand before God one day and are entered into our heavenly home and heavenly reward. Now, if you understand how real estate transactions work, when you commit to purchase a house, you write a check at the signing of the contract of your uh, intent to purchase. You sign a check that is a... Uh, an earnest money check. Anybody ever heard of this? An earnest money check. So you write that earnest money check because you're saying to the seller, not only am I serious about buying this house from you, I'm writing an earnest money check and giving it to you. And if I back out of this contract, you get to keep my earnest money. You get to keep the earnest, right? Are you seeing this? And it's the same meaning when the Bible says that God has given you His Holy Spirit as a seal and as uh, an earnest, right? Meaning that if He doesn't uh, see your salvation all the way through to the end, He loses the Holy Spirit. That's how serious He is. That's how serious He is 
about finishing what he started in you. Maybe you were like me. You were very young when you asked Jesus into your heart and were baptized or, 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 or sprinkled or whatever it was that you did in your church in those days. And the devil's told you for years that you didn't mean that. If you were really serious about that, you wouldn't have done some of the things. He's lying to you. He's lying to you. You may have done some things that you wish you'd have never done and all that stuff. But see, he began, God began something in you that day that he has committed to you to finish. Amen. Amen. When you get excited about that. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Now, we ended last week talking about, uh, actually, we began to talk about the power of seed. And this, we ended with this new section, and we just kind of dipped our toes in it for a moment. And I was wanting you to see this because I was, I was wanting you to, to at least get some concept of the power of seed. And we need to understand the power of seed because we've been born a second time of an incorruptible seed. And we need to understand seed from God's perspective. We've already talked about seed determining the nature of a thing. And the only way to change the nature of a thing is to change the seed that produced it. That's why you must... You must be born again, according to Jesus. Well, in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, I'll put that verse up on the screen. This is going to be familiar to those of you who were last week because we have already, already covered this. But he said, even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. There's a lot of teaching here, and we did some of it last week. I'm not going to try to even rehash everything we covered last week, but... The book of Hebrews is written to convince Hebrew people, Jewish people, and of course me and you, but specifically when it was originally written, to convince Hebrew people that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. And some people had a hang-up with his legitimacy as the Messiah because the Messiah was also to be the high priest. And their understanding was that a, a priest or high priest must descend from the tribe of Levi. Jesus was not from the tribe of Levi. He was from the tribe of Judah. And so this was a hang-up that, that a lot of people had in accepting Jesus as the Messiah because they were you know, nitpicky about it and, and this detail was a big issue. And so the Holy Spirit through the writer of Hebrews is addressing that. And he's saying that, yes, Jesus is the Messiah. Yes, Jesus is our great and only now high priest. And he, yes, was from the tribe of Judah, but he's not from the Levitical priesthood. He's from the order of Melchizedek. He descended from that priestly order. And to describe or explain or establish, might be a better word, to establish that the priestly order of Melchizedek is greater than the priestly order of Levi, he points to the reality of Levi when he was just Levi with no kids, right? When he was, wasn't even Levi born on the planet, right? He said that Levi... Now listen, this, this may you go, that don't work that way. According to God, it does. See, this is important. We're not, we're not wanting to look at this through the eyes of men or through the eyes of religion or, or, or through the way we think it ought to be. we got to see this from God's perspective. And from God's perspective, from God's perspective, Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek. How did he do that? Because Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, right? His great-grandfather paid tithes to Melchizedek long before uh, his grandfather or father was born. How, how is it that he paid tithes? It's because he was still in the body, in the, in the loins 
of uh, Abraham when Abraham paid the tithe. So Levi, to simplify it, Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek when Abraham did because Levi was, big important word, only two letters, he was in Abraham when Abraham paid them. So do you see now how we're making this point that, and the Bible makes this point, that I'm pointing out the point that the Bible makes to you, okay, <laughs> All right. is that we were in Adam when Adam sinned. And because we were in Adam when Adam sinned, we sinned when Adam sinned. Amen. And that's why we were all born sinners. Now, let's go uh, to, and I just simply call this, key verses about seed. And there's a bunch of them here. And I don't know if we'll look at every one of them or not. We've got a bunch of other stuff I want to try to get to tonight. But I really want to, to help you see some key things about seed. Some of you heard me tell the story that I went to buy a truck. I was wanting a charcoal gray one. They didn't have a charcoal gray one. But they had this maroon-looking one that it started kind of growing on me. And I told Pam, I said, you know, it must be kind of rare. I've never seen one of those. I think I'm going to get that burgundy one. She said, yeah, let's get the burgundy one. So we got it, taking it home, and uh, we saw three uh, trucks that color on the way home. But I had, they had been there the whole time. I just had never noticed them. But now that my eyes were open to them, I'm seeing them everywhere. Okay? And so when your eyes are open to something like the power of seed. Now we go back into the scriptures and it's everywhere we look. And we've verses you've probably read before, but you either didn't understand or just kind of skimmed right over them because you weren't looking for the red truck. You, you were looking for something else, okay? So key verses then about seed. One of the first ones we see is in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. In Genesis 3 and 15, God speaking, he says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman... And between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Uh, To me, one of the most powerful scenes in the Passion, the movie The Passion of the Christ, is the opening scene where we see the foot, which is, uh, you know, representing Jesus' foot, come down on the head of and crush the head of the serpent. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. I'm, I'm sorry, this is what God the Father is talking about here, the day that Jesus will come and crush the head of the serpent. So if you're not familiar with where this passage is located in the scriptures, this is on the heels of Adam and Eve's sin, them becoming spiritually dead, separating themselves from God because of their sin, Father God coming there uh, to the scene of the crime, and Father God doing what Father God does best. He begins to speak. Right? He begins to declare. He begins to set some things in order and, and set some things in motion by the words that he had spoken. This was not plan B. It was plan A from the very beginning. Jesus was the Lamb of God slain from the foundations of the world. This didn't surprise Father God. And he already had a plan involved, in, I'm sorry, in place for uh, this issue. So some of the key things here is that Jesus is talking about a woman that will bring forth a seed, which on the surface doesn't seem to make sense because seed doesn't come from the woman in reproduction. Seed comes from the man, and the egg is in the woman that is fertilized by the seed of the man. Obviously, you guys and gals know that. But the point being is that God said she would bring forth a seed, and that's why um, I really like um, the versions of the Bible that put the capital S, you know, anything that's referring to Jesus, as, a, as capitalized. And so you'll notice in this one, between your seed, between Satan's seed and her seed, capital S. Okay. Now, we see this being fulfilled 
in John 19 and 26, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, Jesus therefore uh, saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by. Do you all know who the disciple Jesus loved is? That's John. He never referred to himself by name in the uh, gospel that bears his name, but instead he referred to himself as the one whom Jesus loved, the disciple whom he loved. And so he's talking about John. John and Mary were standing there when Jesus was hanging on the cross, and he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Woman, behold your son. Now, he was not being disrespectful here. It would be very disrespectful for me to, you know, tell my, you know, when I was growing up, my mama, woman, get me some iced tea. Well, you know, probably not ever drink tea for six years, you know, talk like that. But he wasn't being disrespectful. He's establishing the connection between the woman and the seed father spoke of in Genesis 3 and 15. And now she is the woman and he is the seed hanging on the cross. Now, let's go to Galatians chapter 3. In verse 16, it says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, And to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. So this is Galatians 3 and 16. We're going to look at a couple more verses from, uh, well, at least one more from Galatians. Uh, but let's talk about this for a minute. Um, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that had the powers of darkness known and understood the plan of God, they would have never laid a hand on Jesus. Can I tell you one of the greatest regrets the devil has and ever will have? He regrets killing Jesus. He got caught up in a fit of rage, in, 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 a, in a fit of, of hate, uh, and, and he thought that he was uh, winning his greatest victory. And that maybe if he could kill Jesus, he could actually pull this thing off. And he got so caught up in his jealousy and in his selfishness and in his hate and bitterness and anger that he played right into the plan of God. And the Bible says that had the powers of darkness known the plan of God, they would have never crucified him. They would have never left a hand on. They never laid a hand on him. And so, what we have then in the Old Testament, and this will help you in your Old Testament studying and reading, is that in the Old Testament. We have Father God telling the whole story while at the same time keeping the whole story a secret. And it's only after we see what happened with Jesus' life and death and burial and resurrection that as we look through that lens backwards now at the Old Testament that all these verses in the Old Testament that were speaking to him prophetically and um, figuratively, uh, what you often hear referred to as types and shadows, now we see that uh, the fulfillment of all these things. If, if there was a really bright light, if, if, uh, if they had a really bright light in the back of the room shining it towards me, then that camera sitting in front of me would cast a shadow in, in, in my direction, right? Um, and so that's, that's how, when we call them types and shadows, the people in the Old Testament were looking forward to the New Testament, the bright light of Jesus' coming, shining back in their direction, and it was, it was casting shadows. Well, now we're, we're not standing behind all these things and shadows coming towards us. We're in the light, and now with the light shining on these things, we see very clearly what they knew something was coming. They knew that a, a better day was coming, but the, the, the actual fullness of all that was kept a mystery from them. And so one of the ways that Jesus 
kept the whole story a secret while at the same time telling us the story was through this idea of a seed, meaning either singular, one seed, a seed, or plural, a whole pack of seed, right? Now, you can say seeds for plural seeds, more than one, but you can also just use seed with no S, and it still be more than one, right? And so we see that God made all of these great promises to the seed of Abraham, to the seed of Abraham. And, and so everyone is thinking, well, this, this is the biological offspring of Abraham. And in one context it is. I'm not trying to, listen, God's not finished with his chosen people, the Jews, all right? And I thank God for them and pray for Jerusalem, all that stuff. I'm not writing any of that off. But what we actually see is that the, the ultimate promise was made not to seeds as of many, as we see in this verse, but to your seed as of one. And that seed with a capital S being none other than Jesus. Now, because of all the promises that were made to Abraham and to Abraham's seed, Jesus, right? Where are we now? We are not just in Abraham, biologically descendant of Abraham. We are in Christ. And because we are in Christ, every promise that God made to Abraham, even the blessing that was upon Abraham, has, has now come upon and belongs to you and me. And much of the first three chapters of the book of Galatians are dedicated to explaining that and establishing the, the case that, um, that Jesus uh, became a curse for you and me so that the blessing of Abraham could come upon the Gentiles. Gentiles meaning the, we weren't biologically descendant uh, from Abraham, but we are in Abraham's seed, capital S, and therefore we are heirs according to that promised blessing. Amen. Now, there's a whole lot of teaching right there, but we were pinned down with a curse, right? And Jesus came up under that curse with us. He became a curse. He was made a curse for us, and he lifted that curse off of us, and he carried it away so that the blessing of Abraham could now come upon you and me. All right, let's go from Galatians 3.16 to Galatians 3.19, and it says this. It says, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now, this opens up a whole nother vein of teaching that we'll just touch on briefly. But we see that now we are under the new covenant that we have been set free from the rigors of the Old Covenant or the Old Testament law. That doesn't mean it's okay now for you to go murder somebody or look somebody in the face and lie to them. All those commandments are still wrong and, and have consequences. So don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. But as a means of being in, in right standing with God, uh, our right standing with God is based upon our performance according to that, to that old law system. But our right standing with God... Is, is now based upon who we are in Christ Jesus and who we became the day we became a new creation in Him. We're no longer in Adam. We are in Christ. And so he's, he's bringing up the point then. It's like what purpose then does the law serve? Because he goes through this whole lengthy list of, of things that the law could never do. 
And one of the things that we see is that the law could never make a man complete before God. A law could never put um, the, the righteous nature of God within a man or a woman. And so when he says it was added because of transgressions till the seed should come, there's another place. I'm trying to see if I have that verse. I, th- I thought I had it here, but I do not. Have you ever heard the expression that the law was our schoolmaster? Our schoolmaster? Um, and, and, the, and the schoolmaster is not what you think of as a schoolmaster. In their days, uh, the schoolmaster was, uh, was the most senior and the most trusted employee or servant um, in the house, okay? The one that the, the uh, uh, owner of the house, owner of the estate, you know, would have trusted uh, his, his most loyal employee or servant. And uh, a lot of times these were, were older uh, men, and it was their responsibility to make sure that the the sons, and I know we're covering some cultural norms that we no longer embrace in our world today, servanthood, slavery, only boys being educated, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so please don't get offended by any of that, I'm just saying. Because um, children, the, the women, the girls didn't go to school, the boys did. And if you just send a group of boys off to school, you know, they're liable to find every tree to climb, every mud hole to play in, every, uh, you, you understand what I'm saying? They get distracted. They get off, off course. And so the schoolmaster would have been the senior most uh, servant or employee who would have accompanied the boys to make sure that they get from the house to the schoolhouse and then back again, Right. Okay, and so he says that the law served as that same purpose. It was never meant to make us right before God in the eyes of God. It was like a schoolmaster who was to keep us in line to the best of his ability until Jesus came, until the seed uh, should come to whom the promise was made. You still with me? I'm not trying to confuse you. All right. Look, if you've ever done this, no judgment here. All right. No judgment here. But here's another way. Maybe this will be more memorable to you. All right. It's kind of like back when they decided to put this little spare tire in a car that's about this big, you know, and the wheel on your car is like this big or bigger, you know, but they give you this little bitty donut spare. It's because that donut spare wasn't meant to be driven on for six years. Okay. It was meant to be put on your car and to get you to the nearest uh, fix a flat service station or whatever uh, to you, right? Okay, so if you could think of the the law, because he makes the point over and over again that it couldn't make you righteous, it couldn't provide you with your inheritance, it couldn't do in you what God, you know, ultimately wants to, and desires to, to, to be done in you because only the seed, our being born a second time of the seed of God, Jesus, right, could produce all that within us. So why, why the law then? If the law couldn't do any of these things, what was the big deal about the law? It was that donut spare tire, to get generations of God's chosen people uh, to the point where Jesus the Messiah uh, came. And thank God he came. Amen? Amen. You still good with me? You still, are you still hanging in there? All right. Now, f- f- yes? I like one thing I just wanted to know. This helped me. So my Bible says it's like a donut spare tire. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. It can't fix it, and um, so I know a guy who wrote a book called Becoming a Threat to Addiction, and we talk about this in there, and uh, I know a guy, and, uh, and he'll give you one of those books if you'd like it, um, amen, uh, if you're watching online, market hccnow.org, free and postage paid, but anyway, I'm not trying to sell you anything, right, you know, for a $100 offering to this ministry, well, no, 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 free, 
free. Seed. Amen. Seed sown. Okay. But this is where the Lord showed it to me. I had uh, really serious eye pain. Those of you who read the book, you've already heard this, but had some, man, my eye was hurting so bad. It was like, ooh, you know, and I, I could finally get like some relief. And what I didn't realize is every time it would, you know, the sunlight, your, your pupil, what constricts, you know, and every time it would, you know, change shapes. I was like, oh, man, it, just, it hurt so bad. So finally Pam said, maybe you ought to go to the eye doctor. And I said, yeah, let's do that. We were over not far from my eye doctor. I just kind of popped in on him. And, and um, he looked at my eyes. I said, I don't see anything wrong with it, Mark. He said, do you mind if I put uh, this uh, eye drop in your eye? He said, it's, it's like a yellow dye. He said, there's something wrong with your eye. It'll, it'll show it to me. I said, please, yeah, you're helping me. So he puts it in there, waits a minute or two, looks in there, and he goes, oh, I went, Oh, what? You know, so I had an ulcer on my cornea. Um, thank God, you know, with his help and the Lord's help, I'm fine, you know, now. All right. Um, but the yellow dye in my eye was powerless to fix the problem. It could only reveal it. It could, it could only reveal it. Um, and that's what the law does. In the book, we talk about trying to help you understand it, is that the law actually caused sin to explode. And God knew that it would. He wasn't surprised by that. Um, but it became the yellow dye that revealed to us a problem that um, we couldn't fix ourselves. That we, we, you know, we could never. And so, again, being a bit silly to make the point, you know, the doctor says, look, here, here's some medicine. Just put this in, in your eye a couple of three times a day, what it was. He said, you should be fine in a couple of weeks. Okay, thank you. But I believe I'd rather just take the yellow dye with me, you know, I don't want the medicine that'll fix my eye. I just, you know, how about if I just put three drops of yellow dye in my eye, you know, each day, you know, for the next two weeks? We'll see. It's, it's not going to help me. It's just going to show the problem that I've got, but it can't. It's powerless to fix it. And that's what the law was. It revealed the problem, but it was powerless to fix it. So thank you, sister. Uh, again, we, we go down this vein. We could, whew, we could spend a lot of time here. Um, the good news is, thank you, Jesus, um, you know, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, these two things, on these two laws, hang all the law and the prophets. So if you think about uh, a curtain rod, and on one end you've got uh, the um, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, commandment number one. Commandment number two, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? He says, on that hang all the law and the prophets. Right? So if what happens if one of those anchor points fails. <laughs> they all fall off, right? But, you know, he said, and this is the fulfillment of all of those. In other words, you can't, you can't love somebody and steal their wife from them. You know, you see, I mean, you know I'm saying? It's, it, it, it's, it's, it's uh, um, as opposed to a thou shalt not, it's a thou shalt. And we are more hardwired for thou shalts instead of thou shalt nots. Amen. Um, praise God. All right. So great point, sister. Thank you for that. All right. Now, <clears throat> this might be, if I, if, if I could only share, oh, maybe three verses with you about seed, this would definitely make the cut in, in top three, if not the number one. Okay. And it's John chapter 12, verses 23 and 24. John chapter 12, verses 23 and 24. It says, But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, Unless a, grain, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Now, what is Jesus talking about here? He's, he's actually talking about his own death. 
He is the grain of wheat. And he realizes that in order for any seed to reproduce after its own kind, it must fall into the ground and die. And as long as that seed just sits on the corner of a shelf in a barn somewhere, it's not ever going to release the potential that it has to reproduce after its own kind. But if that seed, you know, comes off that shelf and goes into the ground and dies, it releases the potential that's within it to reproduce after its own kind. And so do you see, I don't know, maybe y'all just like overwhelmed by that or I'm just going too fast or something, but somebody give me a Baptist nod or an amen or something on that. I and mean, that's, that's cool right there, right? And this is Jesus again. I'm trying to show you this from so many different angles, you know, all of this reinforcing the main points that we reviewed at the beginning of class, that the new birth is a literal experience, that we were born of corrupted seed, we've been born a second time of an incorruptible seed which lives and abides forever, that seed determines nature, and the only way to change the nature, nature of a thing is to change the seed that produced it, praise God. And uh, so, you know, now we're seeing all these different uh, angles and verses uh, where the Word of God speaks about sin. So, again, whose sin made you and me sinners? It was Adam's sin because we were all in Adam when Adam sinned. Whose obedience made you and me righteous? It was Jesus' obedience. And why? Because we've received for ourselves what Jesus did for us as our substitute. And because of that, what we are now in Christ. We are now in Christ. All right, let's, let's run through a few more of these. And, um, oh, sweet Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, I'm not going to read the whole, uh, we could read a whole bunch of verses here. Maybe you want to do that later. But let's just uh, go through and pick a few out that, that relate directly to our subject this evening. Um, and the first one is in 1 Corinthians 15 and 22. And he says, for as in Adam, so notice now, as in Adam, we were all in Adam, and in Adam all die. Even so, in Christ, all shall be made alive. Remember what he said in Ephesians 2. We were dead in our sins and trespasses in which we once walked. But now he is what? He has made us alive in Christ. Let's go back to the difference between bios and zoe, right? A person can be biologically alive but spiritually dead. Jesus said to a group of people who are biologically alive, I have come to give you life. Amen. I've come to give you life. He was saying, I've come to give you zoe in the Greek. Zoe is what the life and nature of God. I've come to give you the life and nature of God. And whosoever believeth on him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life and nature of God. Amen. Everlasting Zoe. It's good news. Straight up good news. Let's jump now. Uh, same chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, and let's look at verses 45 and 46. And it says this, So it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, and that's Jesus, right? The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward, the spiritual. Let's keep going now. Verse uh, 47 the first man was of the earth made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. What is he saying here? Man, this is such good news. This is such good news, right? 
He's saying like in the same way that we were like Adam when we were born of his corrupted seed, now that we have been born of Jesus' incorruptible seed, we are now like him. Woo. All right, let's keep going. Verse 49. And as we have born, carried, bear, think not born like giving birth to, but born like um, bear the image of, as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. All right? So corruption, where does corruption come from? Just behavior? Cor- corruption comes from seed, right? comes from Adam. Remember that verse in second, uh, by these exceeding great and precious promises, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of men's lust, we've now become partakers of the divine nature of God, right? So the corruption, you know, we, again, Holy Spirit, help us now. We're not just talking about corrupted behavior or corrupted thinking. We're talking about a corrupted person, a corrupted being, a corrupt nature that has gone from corrupt because it was born of corrupted seed to incorruptible because it was born a second time of a seed that cannot be corrupted, that lives and abides forever. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Okay. So notice now, as we've borne the image of the man of dust, when God created us, let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. God created us in his image and in his likeness. When he said no graven images, God does not want to. As a matter of fact, he forbids us from uh, making an, a statue or an image or an idol even of him out of wood or metal or stone. Why? It's because he's not a wooden, metal, or stone God. He is a living, breathing God who wants to be represented on this earth by living, breathing men and women, living sacrifices who are daily becoming living proof of a living God. Amen. So he says, as we have bore the image, this is talking about an outward expression of the inward reality. The inward reality of our corrupt nature being expressed in our, in our outward life and living. But he says, now that we have been born from the heavenly man, we will bear the image of Christ in this created realm. Amen. Amen. Ooh, sweet Jesus. All right, now, if this sounds a little too far-fetched for you, let's, let's, let's go 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, notice what it says. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, capital H, Jesus, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. Man, man. Let me tell you what's a good day, right? It's a good day when you can start looking in the mirror and see that. Amen. Amen. When you look in the mirror and you don't, you don't see yourself as the old person you were, but as a new person you became. Amen. Amen. Where, you, where you begin to see him and, and your image of yourself, right? Are you following what I'm saying? And, and this is when you start bearing his image in this created realm. We're not trying to be like Jesus to make ourselves like Jesus. Jesus made us like him because we were born of his seed. We have his nature in us. Generosity is your nature. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Loving people is your nature. 
Now, you, you can have, you know, uh, an unrenewed mind conditioned by the selfishness that's in this world and have had a lot of bitterness and, and rejection and, and hurt and been victimized. and all. See, all of these things are things that Satan has tried to layer upon you year after year after year in your life to, in hopes that you never, you never give expression to the inward reality of your born-again spirit. But he's losing that fight, isn't he? Because we're growing up into Jesus in all things, aren't we? All right, now let's look at it a little more differently here, different place, different way of looking at it. Ephesians chapter 2, verses, um, we're actually going to go through, I don't know, we're going to read four or five at least, maybe six verses here. So it says, therefore remember, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh. Okay, so flesh means what, you know, physically, biologically. But we were once Gentiles in the flesh. We're now, what, born again. So we're different inwardly than we are outwardly. Who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. So circumcision was the outward sign uh, of a male Jewish um, uh, person that they were in covenant with God. That at that time, at that time, you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Listen, I'm not... I don't think we fully appreciate our rescue because we don't fully appreciate the dilemma that we were rescued from. We, man, we, we were outsiders with no hope of ever being an insider. We were lost with no hope of ever being found. Um, we, 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 were, we were dead with no hope of ever being saved, rescued, being made alive again. No hope without God. And if you're without God and you've got a problem only God can resolve, you're in trouble. You're in, you're in eternal trouble. Okay? All right? And so this is what he's saying. We were without Christ. We were the commonwealth of, of Israel is talking about, you know, God's chosen people. And as Gentiles, we were outsiders. We had none of that had anything to do with us. We weren't included in any of that. Um, but now notice what he says in verse 13. But now, but now, come on now, but now in Christ Jesus, that was then, but this is now. You who were, who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. For he himself is our peace, who made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross. I'm going to come back and explain this. Just stay with me. Thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. Those who were far off were, were you and me, non-biological descendants of Abraham. Those who were near were the biological descendants of Abraham, but they still needed somebody to preach peace to them, the Prince of Peace. Amen? For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. All right? Now, I want to try to break all this down for you in, in a simple way. There's a lot we could talk about here that we probably will not. But the key thing that I want you to see, first of all, is that there was enmity. Remember we said enmity is anywhere from a difference of opinion. It's disagreement. It's lack of harmony. It's lack of unity, lack of oneness. 
And that can range on a spectrum from just a simple disagreement of opinion, okay, all the way up to violent, murderous rage and hatred. So enmity is the opposite of harmony. It's the opposite of unity. It's the opposite of oneness. And in this case, he's pointing out the enmity that existed between God's chosen people, the descendants of Abraham, the Jewish people, and uh, all other uh, non-Jewish or races of the world, Gentile people. Now, this, there, so there's, there's enmity. There, there, is, there is difference. There, there, there is uh, um, just racism. I mean, just call it what it is, all right? And now here's the thing. God is a God of, of oneness. God is a God of harmony and, and unity and union. And when it comes to the difference between and the, and the, the, the wall of separation and the, and the enmity between the Jews and all other nations of the world, guess who created that, that enmity, that, that uh, separation? It was God. God is the one who called Abraham out from among the people and made a covenant with Abraham and made a covenant with the descendants of Abraham and made promises to the, here we go again now, the capital S, seed of Abraham. This is where we get in on it, right? Because we're in Christ. We're in Christ. But now as Jesus has come, and by the way, in, in, the, same, in, in the same regard, the same respects that, um, oh, sweet Jesus, there's a lot here. Um, let, um, we've talked about the law and, and how you know, the New Testament is, is different and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, the plan of God was always for all the nations to be able to come to him. Amen. Amen. And we sometimes, if you're not aware of that, you will read the Old Testament and, and never see that. But even, and I hesitate to say this because I know a lot of you weren't here for this class, but let me just quickly touch on this. The original plan of God for um, the nation of, of Israel brought out of slavery in Egypt was for the entire nation of Israel, all 12 tribes of the nation of Israel, to become priests for the rest of the people on planet earth. A priest is someone who goes before God on behalf of another, who represents uh, you know, bridges that gap between God and man and helps people who don't know God come to God and experience God and relate to God and, and, and so forth and so on. And so God's plan was for the entire, all 12 tribes of the nation of Israel to be priests for all the other nations of the earth. But the uh, nation of Israel said no to that. As a matter of fact, they told, uh, they told Moses, they said, Moses, look, uh, we don't like it when he speaks to us. It scares us. And, and you tell him that if he's got anything else to say to us, he can tell you, and then you tell us what you think we need to know. Now, that's the New Winslet International paraphrase, okay? But that's basically how this thing went down. And so rather than all 12 tribes of the nations of, of Israel being priests to the rest of the nations in, 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 this, in the world, God chose one of the 12 tribes, the tribe of Levi, to be priests for the other 11 tribes of Israel. But God never gave up on his plan to have a nation of priests on the earth who would reach out to the other nations in this world. And guess who that is? That's you and me. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, the Bible says. Amen. Are you picking this up? So talking about you and me. So what we've got to understand about God the Father, when he purposes to do something, it doesn't matter how long it takes or how much it costs, he's going to see it. 
Are you hearing me? He's going to see it to fulfillment. He's going to see it to fulfillment. So now we've got this, this issue. We've got, uh, we've got uh, uh, racism. We've got separation between Jewish people and non-Jewish people. And it was something that, that God did in the same way that the law was a donut spare tire. God had to bring... There's a lot we're going with here, okay? Can y'all stay with me? What time is it? Ooh. It's 625. Where is the time? Is it just me or is this time going by fast? Okay. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> Amen. Somebody tell me what I was saying. Somebody tell me what I was thinking. Levi's the priest. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. We were going somewhere even further back than that, but that's okay. All right. So it's a donut. Thank you, sister. That, that's, that's what I needed to know. All right. So if we go back to the days of Noah... Remember now, we've had classes on this. Remember, though, remember, mind you, in the days of Noah, the Bible says every thought in every heart was only evil continually. Remember God consciousness only, then God consciousness plus sin consciousness, then sin consciousness led to self-consciousness, and with each passing generation, mankind became less and less God-conscious and more and more sin and self-conscious until the days of Noah where there was no even memory of God in anybody's heart other than Noah. And so that's when the flood came, right? So how are we going to keep this from from happening again? And so God says, you know what, I'm going to have to do it this way. Rather than trying to relate to every human being on planet Earth, I'm going to take one man, one righteous man. Do you know of all the reasons why Abraham was chosen? Help me, Jesus. Help us all, Jesus. Do you know the one reason the Bible says more than any other reason why Abraham was chosen? He was chosen because God knew he would teach his children. God knew that what he was doing in in Abraham and with Abraham would not stop at Abraham. That he would pass it on to other generations. And so God brings Abraham, Sarah, calls them out. They say, yes, will you come with me? Yes, God, where are we going? I'll tell you when we get there. The trust that this man displayed in God is, is why he deserves what he has in Scripture as the father of faith, the father of all who believe. How many times did God ask him to do things that made absolutely no sense? And he did it. He trusted God and he followed him and he listened to him and he obeyed him. It, it's, it's a phenomenal thing. And so, it's, it's, it, so now instead of trying to deal with everybody, God makes a blood covenant with one man and his offspring so that there could be ultimately a race of people left on planet earth through whom God could bring his son to this earth. But now the son's here and we've got the separation. How in the world are we going to fix this? God's answer is very simple. We're going to fix this because now the biological descendants of Abraham, also known as Jewish people, and the non-biological descendants of Abraham, also known as Gentile people, they're all going to be born a second time of the same seed. Amen. <laughs> so he himself, Jesus himself, do you see what he's saying now, is our peace. That he might, so let's go back to it. Praise the name of the living God. Um, thank you, Jesus. I don't want to read the whole thing to you again, but I will if I need to. 
Here it is. I'm, this is the verse I'm looking for. Um, so let's go with it again one more time. Ver, beginning at verse 15. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. How did he abolish them? Did he abolish them by just sweeping them under the rug? He abolished them by fulfilling them. By actually being the only person in human history who's ever obeyed every one of those commandments. Okay. And by the way, it's not just the ten. I think total 632, I think, different ordinances and commandments. Okay. Every one of them. Never violated a single one of them. So as to create in himself one new man from the two. You got the Jewish man. You got the non-Jewish man. You got the white man, the brown man, the black man, the whatever other different races and all the different uh, Native Americans, all these different people groups, right? How in the world are we going to bring unity and harmony? Every one of us just be born a second time of the same seed. Now, I can, somebody that don't even look like me is my brother. When you hear the expression that um, blood is thicker than water, we think that means birth kin. That's not what that means. Water is two, two brothers born from the same womb. Blood is referring to a blood covenant. Blood being thicker than water means two men who have been born of the same seed are actually more brothers than two men born from the same womb. Wow. 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 All right, now, praise God. We got time for this. Yes, we do. You need to hear this. Holy Spirit prompted me on this one. I want to make sure I got there. All right, now, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I've got verses... 9 and 10 on the screen, but I got verse 11 waiting in the wings, okay? And that's significant, and, and I would have done it this way even if it didn't, the lines didn't fall that way when I built these slides, because unfortunately, when these verses are preached and taught on in, in the church today, is that these are the only verses that we tend to hear, um, and, and we don't hear them in the context that they were meant to be given, and that's alongside verse number 11. And so he says this, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now let's stop here for a moment, okay? <clears throat> Based upon what we have learned up into this moment in time, what does it mean to be unrighteous? Unsaved. It means you haven't been saved. You haven't been born again. Because there's only one way to be righteous. And it has nothing to do with your behavior. See, I'm just getting that because I thought that was talking about acts of sinful acts, not the nature. Come on, sister. I see it in your eyes, too. It's like, it's like fire. It's like fire. Who need to turn you loose on somebody? Praise God. All right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. So 
what she said. She's right, okay? Now, here's another part that we're going to bring into this. See, we here will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, let's talk about that for a moment. See, religion and most people believe the kingdom of God means going to heaven when you die. Jesus brought the kingdom to the earth. And he gave us the kingdom. And if you've been born again, the kingdom is in you. Right? Now, we probably spent four hours talking about all that, but that's it in a nutshell. So the kingdom of God in you is an inward reality of the new birth. God's kingdom is in you. Jesus taught on the kingdom. In Matthew 13, he taught six parables about the kingdom and then said, those who have been perfectly trained in the kingdom are like the owner of a general store who can put their hand on anything that anybody needs anytime they need it. The kingdom of God is talking about the rule of God, the reign of God, the realm of God, the resources of God. Every miracle Jesus performed on this earth, he performed from the kingdom of God as, a, as one who was sent forth and as an ambassador of the kingdom of God. Okay? So when he says that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, he's talking about inherit now here means that you will not possess or you will not hold in your hands what you've been given. Okay? Now, so... Be dead, right? Because death is separation. All right. Now, this is where it gets confusing for a lot of people. So he goes through, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, a fornicator is someone who has sex outside of a covenant with another person who is also outside of that covenant. And if they're not in sex between two people who are not in covenant with one another, and those two people are not in covenant with anyone else either, okay? As opposed to adultery. Adultery is when two people have sex that are not in covenant with one another, but one or both of those two are in covenant, marriage covenant with somebody else. So fornication is sex outside of marriage. Adultery is when you have sex and with someone you're not married to and either or both parties are married to somebody else. Nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. So an unrighteous, it goes without saying, these people aren't born again, they're not in the kingdom, the kingdom hasn't been given to them. But he also says that, that these folks will not inherit the kingdom of God. Meaning they, now, <laughs> he's talking to born again people here. You say, how, how do you know that? Why is he not just, just explaining something that, that we already know? Well, because of verse 11. You ready? And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, if you look at the greater context of this scripture, the Apostle Paul is addressing some of this behavior still lingering in the people at Corinth. Corinth was a wicked city. Oh my gosh, a wicked city. Um, 
there were a lot of temples to idols and goddesses. A lot of their worship practices involved having sexual relations with temple prostitutes. It, 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 was, it was a wicked city, and these people were caught up in that, and now they've gotten born again. But Friday night down at the temple, all you can eat crab legs. You know, I mean, it was still a draw. And they were still participating in some of these things, some of these behaviors. And Paul said, listen, this is going to prevent you from holding in your hands what God's already given to you. Because people who are these things don't inherit. But now, but see, when we stop at verse 10, it leaves the wrong impression that, that the Holy Spirit never meant. Because what is Paul ultimately doing? He's like, hey, you know what? You're still committing sex outside of marriage, but that's not who you are anymore. That's who you used to be. That's the kind of behavior that used to coincide with the nature that was in you. But you have a new nature in you now. That's not who you are. You were, and such were some of you. Were meaning past tense. Were meaning you were these things, but you're not that, you're not that person anymore. Because you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified. Justified literally means just as if I'd never sinned. Justified means to be made righteous. But remember, we've been given the righteousness of Jesus. You've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus' righteousness is not the righteousness of a forgiven sinner. Jesus' righteousness is the righteousness of a man who was tempted in all points like as we are and yet without sin. So when Father God looks at you having been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, He doesn't see a sinner who's been forgiven and made righteous. When He looks at you, He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus' righteousness and therefore for he sees someone who has never sinned. Amen. Father God wants to treat you and me like our sin never happened. And the price that Jesus paid to make you and me righteous and the door that he opened for you and me to be born a second time of his seed and to become his righteousness now affords Father God the luxury of treating you and me like we've never sinned. Amen. So it's not about what we deserve. It's about what he desires for us to have. I'm getting stirred up now. <laughs> this would be a good place for us to start next week, so we'll end this week so we can say we'll start here next week, okay? John chapter 1, verse 12. Verse, I think it's 11, it says, He came to His own, and His own received Him not. But as many as received Him to them, He gave the power. Verse 12, but as many as received Him... But as many as received him, anybody in the room received him, anybody watching me online received him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born. We were born. It's a literal experience. But we were not born of blood, human blood, human flesh, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So what is he saying? Who were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but were born of God. We've been born of God. I've been born of God. You've been born of God. And when we were born a second time of God, born from above, born of the Spirit, born of the Word of God, when we were born a second time, are you seeing it? 
Are you seeing it? Oh, sweet Jesus. Gave us the, the, the right. The King James Version says power. The word right there is the word exousia. And it literally means the authority. We've been authorized. It's kind of like where he talks about in Hebrews. He said no one takes the office of priesthood upon themselves. It's something that's bestowed upon them by God. God is the one who authorized a man to operate in that office. And in the same way, we didn't take this upon ourselves. God has authorized this. He has authorized this. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Where do we stop? I guess we'll stop here. Amen. I mean, I, just to show you, I'm looking at, I don't know how many more verses just in this, in this section. So let me tell you where we're going to go. We're going to finish up a few more of these verses as we, as in our next class. And then, um, then we're going to look at, because it's been said a couple of ways by me and even by those that have made comments in the room tonight, because uh, we've been saved, okay? So we've been saved. But what does it mean to be born again? And what does being saved have to do with being born again? And I'll give you a hint. The Bible says, that Jesus was the firstborn from the dead. He became our sin and he died. But when he was born from the grave, he left sin in the dust. Was it his sin that he took to the grave or ours? It was our sin. He left it in the dust and he came back with the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Amen. And so notice he was the firstborn from the dead. He wasn't the last. See, when we were born again, we were born from spiritual death. Amen? Amen. Into eternal life. From a seed that can't be corrupted, that lives and abides forever. Amen. Father, thank you for this time together this evening. Thank you for your great love. Thank you for always being there for us. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for this amazing grace that you've shown to us, Lord. Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, nor has it entered the heart of man the things that you have prepared for those who love you. Father, I thank you that you're able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask, think, or imagine. I thank you, Father, that, that your uh, love for us uh, and, the, and the full dimensions of it goes beyond our understanding. It can only be embraced as the Holy Spirit reveals it to us. But as we see more and more the love that you have for us, we see, Father, that our lives are filled more and more with your fullness. Thank you, Father, that you are revealing these things to us, not just to benefit us personally, individually, but you're revealing these things to us, Father, so that we can effectively minister to other people. Thank you for equipping us, Father, to be more effective in what you've put us on this earth to do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. and amen. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for joining us online. Know that you love. If nobody's told you that today, you have a great rest of your evening. And as always, good things coming.